Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology and OCAPS board review podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these episodes are meant for medical education only, not for diagnosing anything on anyone's eyes. Each week, we take a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. Andrew, what are we talking about this week? This week, we're going to talk about pearls for prescribing pediatric spectacles. It's like almost oh, alliterative, gosh. almost 100% alliterative. Yeah, almost, yeah, this is like a lot of good alliteration in there. <laughs> like, why are we doing an episode on this and not just refraction in general? Like, what? what's, you know? <laughs> well, I'll be perfectly honest. It's because it's based off of stuff I already kind of had ready. I am working on this interactive case-based learning module at the University of Iowa for this purpose specifically, uh, showing our residents some pearls of how to prescribe glasses in the pediatric ophthalmology clinic. And it's heavily based in conjunction with my colleague, Dr. Pavlina Kemp, pediatric ophthalmologist and residency program director at the University of Iowa. So shout out to you, Dr. Kemp. For- Dr. Kemp is awesome. Uh, okay. Well... Does this mean Iowa residents are not allowed to listen to this episode? Is this like a spoiler for them? Nah, man. We'll take whatever help we can get. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. I was gonna, I was gonna say get off this up. You know. <laughs> you know. Delete the podcast. But okay. Never mind. Never mind. You guys. You guys can still listen to. But yeah. You know. I mean. I think there's a lot more nuances to pediatric refraction and um, you know prescription choices than in adults. So should we just dive right into it? Sounds good. We've got a bunch of cases, and we'll see uh, about getting through some of the particulars of the decision-making when you're prescribing the glasses. We're not really going to talk about the ins and outs of like refracting a child, because yeah. I, I, I don't know how to do that in an audio format anyway, like describing retinoscopy. The Tim Roots YouTube video is like the best thing in the world for that, I think. Mm. Uh, like the mechanics of cycloplegic, you know, retinoscopy and such. So look up that if you want to know like the mechanics of how to do it. Right. Tim Root. That's on YouTube. It's great. But all these cases are just going to, you know, give you the data as if you've gotten a great like cycloplegic retinoscopic, retinoscopic ret refraction already. And now you're in the position of deciding, okay, do I just give this to him or what else do I have to think about in adjusting the script a little bit perhaps? Okay. But for, let's do first child, first case. Let's talk about it. Let's say they're like two years old. They have intermittent eye crossing. That's why they came in for a couple months. And retinoscopy shows a plus three sphere in both eyes. And then when you do your strap exam, there's 30 prism diopters of esotropia, both at distance and near. It's the same in both. Okay. Should I just give them the glasses? Say, see you in a year. We'll give a little bit of time for the audience to think. Yeah. Again, two year olds. Eye crossing, plus three sphere, 30 prison diopters, esotropia. And that is a cycloplegic refraction too. Plus yeah, yeah, three cycloplegic sphere. plus three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time up. Uh, so yeah, you do want to give glasses, but there's actually two elements in this case. For one of those elements, you wouldn't need to give glasses. The other element, you would. So a quick review of the one that isn't as big of a deal. The plus three sphere in both eyes constitutes isoamotropia, which is sort of like anisometropia. It's just refractive error that's actually similar between both eyes. And in this case, this kid has plus three sphere in both eyes. Do you have to give glasses for plus three sphere in both eyes for a two-year-old? Nah, that's like, okay. Yeah. Actually, the BCSC does have these thresholds. And the thing we're trying to prevent here is amblyopia, of course, right? 
Of course, we'll talk about anisometropia later. You guys are always remembering, oh, if the eyes are too far apart, that could be a problem, amblyogenic. But if you have like plus three sphere, is that enough to give amblyo amblyopia in and of itself? And it's different depending on the refractive state. So astigmatism in both eyes, that's similar in both eyes, isoamotropic astigmatism, you should give glasses for that if it's a exceeding two to three diopters of cylinder astigmatism what about hyperopia yeah, like total yeah yeah what about yeah hyperopia is um if they're more like than four or five diopters total you know hyperopia in both eyes then that's worth glasses to avoid amblyopia too and then what about myopia myopia is the best tolerated so it takes five to six diopters until you should get really start thinking about this kid needs glasses. And some caveats to this, this all actually does change based on the exact age of the kid, but those clinical guidelines are pretty nebulous a little bit, a lot of kind of local expert judgment. This is what's in the BCSE. Two to three diopters of isoamotropic astigmatism, four to five diopters of isoamotropic hyperopia, and five to six diopters of isoamotropic myopia. And if you needed to remember the order of which one of those refractive states was more amblyogenic than the others, like which one has the lower or higher threshold, thankfully, it's alphabetical. Astigmatism, two to three diopters, that's the one that triggers amblyopia at lower thresholds, then hyperopia, then myopia. Yeah. And if you, you know, you can remember the, like, I think alphabetical is easy for tests. And to remember the reason too, you know, astigmatism gives you blur. Like at all distances, if you have too much, you'll be blurry at all distances. And hyperopia, it, you know, they can accommodate through it, but uh, it, you know, you don't. They only have so much accommodative range. And then myopia is probably the best tolerated because at least at some distances, which children may use a lot, like at near, then they'll be you know sharp and good vision. Right. So it's just kind of like how often will their vision be garbage? So. This case just review, it was a two-year-old with plus three, three sphere in both eyes. That's below that threshold of hyperopia, four to five diopters. So, you know, it's not pathologic hyperopia. It's, you know, fairly common at that age. It's just physiologic. But then why do we still prescribe the glasses if they can accommodate through that plus three? That's because of the esotropia, which changes the diagnosis from just physiologic normal hyperopia to accommodative esotropia. And just to review that accommodative esotropia, that's when the eyes turn too far inwards when the accommodative muscles kick in. And remember, this is all part of the near triad, which is three things. One, accommodation. The ciliary muscles got to flex. Two, a deduction. And three, pupillary constriction. And we can stop that esotropia by removing the stimulus for accommodation by correcting the hyperopia that we wouldn't have otherwise bothered with. Yeah. So in this case, if the child had esotropia at both distance and near. But what if the esotropia were only at near? Then we could consider something like executive bifocals instead of just regular plus lenses. Cool. Yeah. Okay. That's accommodative esotropia. Here, I'm, I'm going to give case two as well because sure. <laughs> I beat you to it. Okay. <laughs> now <laughs> we got, we're a similar child. Maybe it's a child's like, I don't know, cousin. Two-year-old does not have esotropia or strabismus, but does have refractive error, error, okay? This time it's not plus three, 
it's plus three in the right eye and plus one in the left eye. So no ESO, Serbismus, but they have a dif- difference between the eyes, plus three in the right, plus one in the left. So what, what do we call this situation, Andrew? This now is anisometropia. Okay, so does that mean we have to give glasses? I mean, we just said they're under plus, you know, four to five for hyperopia. So, mm-hmm. you know, can I say toodles? See you in a couple of years? No. In this case, we really should have given the glasses because all those kind of threshold ranges we talked about for isoamotropia, they're all different for anisometropia. And it's actually easier to get amblyopia from anisometropia. So all these thresholds are a bit uh, more stringent. Plus, sorry, it's out of order, out of the order you'd expect. So we'll go through the thresholds at the BCSC states again. And those are for anisohyperopia. We should give glasses if there's more than 1.5 diopters of difference between the, between the two eyes. And in this case, you know, plus three OD, plus one OS, that's a two diopter difference. That's worse than our threshold of one and a half diopters to prevent amblyopia in anisohyperopia. So we should give glasses to this kid. Now, the other refractive states, anisoastigmatism has a threshold of two diopters of difference between lens, between the eyes. And anisomyopia is, again, the better tolerated one. The difference threshold between eyes is three diopters until you really need to give glasses. So unfortunately, this order for anisometropic, like amblyogenic risk, is a little different than the isoamotropia one, which we said was alphabetical, astigmatism's the most amblyogenic, then hyperopia is the second most amblyogenic than myopia is. In this one, the hyperopia and astigmatism switch places. So in this case, it's hyperopia is the most amblyogenic, anisoastigmatism is the second most amblyogenic, and anisomyopia is thankfully consistent. It's the least amblyogenic. My memory tool for this, it's not alphabetical, but it's uh, H-A-M in that order. You can consider that anisometropia goes ham, and I will not elaborate on that mnemonic. Yeah. And, you know, just to, uh, to help, you know, to understand the reason to help hopefully dunk that in your memory is, you know, that we talked about how with astigmatism was the worst when both eyes are the same because you're blurry it all the time. But here it's less about when you're blurry all the time versus when you'd prefer one eye over the other. And if one eye is a lot more hyperopic than the other, then there's no distance at which the more hyperopic eye is better than the less hyperopic eye because accommodation is symmetric between the two eyes. So it's not like if they could accommodate one eye like a little bit differently than the other, then then um, th- then maybe that wouldn't be true. But because it's symmetric, you know, remember when you say you're plus three, that means you are clearest at way beyond infinity in terms of distance. And a plus one is you're a bit beyond infinity in terms of distance. And when you accommodate, you just pull in in terms of um, your focus from infinity. So that's why hyperopia is worse when your eyes are different, if that makes sense. I'll put it another way too. That's a great explanation, Ben. But in this case, again, plus three OD, plus one OS, the kid will accommodate to see clearly, but they're only going to bother accommodating the lower amount. So the plus one OS, they'll accommodate through that. They'll get, oh, hey, I see clearly now out of my left eye. 
and I'm not going to bother trying to accommodate through the other two diopters that I that the right eye needs, and that's just going to leave that right eye blurry and promote amblyopia. So. Yeah, in contrast to myopia, right, where if one eye is like minus two and the other eye is minus four, then the minus two eye will be better when they're looking at things that are half a meter away, and the minus four eye will be better when they're looking at things up, you know, a quarter of a meter away. So there's actually like useful distances when like there there's a difference between myopia, so that the you know. It, you know, it's it's less of a problem where like they will never use one eye. The hyperopia is not the same. Um, and just one point too about the number, like the numbers are tricky. What I always did is just kind of memorize them like a week or two before, like had a little printout table or flashcard to memorize them. Uh, I, I do think knowing the order of which is worst is more important for tests from what I remember. But like, it's good to memorize the numbers, but I, I don't ever remember a question where they really hammered like, oh, it's like 1.25 diopters. Do you prescribe glasses here? You know, versus like, you know, 1.5 diopters. Yeah. But I, I think it's more the order and like rough degrees of how, like what's bad and what's not right. is like important for tests. I think if you're working in, in a life, pediatric you know. ophthalmic clinic, the best thing to do is just use whatever table of thresholds that your attending has. Um, yeah, because those those are even a little more specific and a little more detailed than what the BCSC says. I agree with Ben. Just remember the order here. Yeah, orders are I think the most important and like rough scale. You know, anisometropia is like you have a lower threshold and with the, both eyes are the same. Okay, let's. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take case three then, if that's all right. Hit it. So just to build on these concepts, now you got a three year old kid, still no strabismus, cycloplegic retinoscopy. Shows two plus two and a half sphere in both eyes. Do you give glasses for this? They're good. They should be fine. Like remember, some amount of refractive error is normal for a patient's age, and if it's not causing a strabismus, like in our very first case, and it's below that isometropic threshold, we said you remember for hyperopia is four to five diopters. Like as long as it's under that, you don't have to give glasses. You know, they cut. They, this child can accommodate to see clearly. Um, you know, their accommodative range can get, you know, well past the plus 2.5 to get into, you know, to, to basically make them like plus zero or like minus as they need to. Um, and, you know, also remember most kids start life hyperopic. That's, that's the hope, you know, that's what I'm hoping for my child is they start hyperopic and aren't too myopic early on. Um, and they get more hyperopic until around age seven. So it's normal to start a bit hyperopic and then increase that hyperopia until age seven, until it starts to kind of go back towards emetropia, uh, you know, no prescription, but, you know, kids can get minus, which we'll get into later, until around age 16. And the, those age ranges and, like, the trajectory of how refractive states change as people grow up, that is actually in the BCSC, so I would remember mm -hmm. that for mm -hmm. a test question. Yeah, I think that the, the, this can, like, it probably won't be a direct question about it, but, like, knowing that trajectory starts hyper, keeps getting hyper to seven, then come, comes back to Plano around age 16. Like know that rough trajectory, you can get asked something that covers that question, yeah, or covers that that detail. Which age seven is the inflection point? More hyperopic till yeah. age seven, then more myopic till around age sixteen. Yeah. Um, one thing that's not in the BCSC, but it's such a, such a good like pearl for your rotation in the Peds clinic is expecting acuities uh, based on different ages. So let's say a four-year-old, because that's the easier thing to remember. A four-year-old, a normal four-year-old should see 20, 40 or better in each eye. And you can remember age four for 20 over 40. And then uh, younger than that, a three-year-old should see 20 over 50 or better in each eye. A five-year-old should see 20 over 30. So let me do it in the 
normal order now, just now that you remembered to anchor this with the easy mnemonic age four for 20 over 40, a three-year-old should see 20 over 50 or better, a four-year-old should see 20 over 40 or better, and a five-year-old should see 20 over 30 or better at each eye. And yeah. these are definitely not with Snell inacuities unless you have, unless your child is Ben Young's child and is a prodigy. No. At, it's, it, <laughs> just yesterday, my wife, you know, so I, I have like a four and a half month old child right now, like month old, not year old. And we uh, investigated yesterday whether we can get a library card for this what? child because my, my wife really wants, you know, wants them to, like, she loves reading. She reads like a book a week. You know, she, she's great. Like more than a book a week, actually. Uh, but the, the librarian just didn't know how to tell us. Like we, we, there's no technical limit in our district about when a child can get a library card. But oh she gosh. was like, usually we, we get it when they could like read, you know, and we were like, oh, no, you can. He's read a hundred books already. And she was like, has he? Has he? Yeah. Oh, gee. Yeah. So we still we, we checked out books, but on, on my wife's card, not on uh, my baby's card yet. Anyways. Uh, let's do another case yeah. to distract from that story. <laughs> Poor Will. <laughs> okay, let's let's get like way into the future. You know, we're like ten years into your career, career, and we see like this child. Maybe we see one of the, the children back, and they're age twelve and uncorrected. They're twenty twenty. Okay, it's twelve year old twenty twenty distance in year. Uh, they don't wear glasses. You do a cycloplegic refraction and show they're plus three. Okay, now they came to see you because their eyes hurt when they're reading. You know, they're reading. They're, they're maybe it's my son in the future and like they're forced to read by my wife and but their eyes hurt after reading so should we give glasses in this case 12 year old 2020 but they're a plus three at age 12 so yes, should we give glasses we should give the glasses but only because of the eye strain hmm. um so the glasses will be intended mostly to help with that so you, a lot of you guys probably can figure this already but we'll just say it the strain is coming because they're trying to focus through that plus three uh, hyperopic refractive error using accommodation. Now, they're accommodating like actually all the time about three diopters just to see far away, but they're probably accommodating even more to see up close. So let's assume that they're accommodating an extra plus three diopters to get up to near. That means on top of their original refractive error, a plus three, another plus three to see up close, they're like exercising six diopters of like compensation that their poor ciliary muscles are having to flex just to focus at near. And that amount of ciliary muscle flexion is going to be really tiresome. So this diagnosis is formally hyperopia with asthenopia, eye strain. And of course, the most extreme version of this, which we're going to help hope that poor, uh, baby young doesn't ever experience would be accommodative spasm like your ciliary muscles get a charlie horse and just get locked into that amount of flexion and that gets really tires really really painful now here's the yeah. actual interesting part of this case do you have to prescribe all three diopters of sphere what do you think Ben? no actually yeah, yeah. we actually we you don't like you just because someone has plus three sphere doesn't mean you always have to prescribe it if you're considering full-time glasses wear, like not you know just reading glasses, only partial correction is needed because the eye can still be allowed to accommodate some. You know you you can, um, which is like basically what the patient's used to, um, and the refractive magnification effect from that will be less. 
We're just trying to lessen, in this case, how much the ciliary muscles need to like max out, you know, the strain, like working all the time. Uh, so like in this case, a, a plus one and a half spear would be quite acceptable. An alternative that would also be acceptable is plus the full amount of refractive correction, plus three, but only for reading. So if yeah. somebody says, you know, I, this really is just a problem when I'm reading, then just get rid of that extra accommodative they ha- accommodation they have to uh, dial in for reading. Yeah. But it's a little, I, I think it's usually a little hard to convince kids to wear reading glasses. So, you know, that's why the plus one and a half all the time is sometimes like, you know, works better too. That's true. But, uh, but it's all about just kind of taking the load off that muscle. Yeah. You know, the ciliary muscle. Um, do you think it's worth doing the special circumstance? Yeah, you could do, yeah. Okay. You want to just say that? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, uh, isn't in the BCSE, this next thing, but just to impress your pediatric ophthalmology attending on your rotation. Here are some special circumstances where you might have hypo accommodation. Those may happen, that may happen in patients with Down syndrome and patients with traumatic brain injury or repeated concussions. And uh, this is according to uh, Dr. Kemp. So, yeah, so they they might, you know, they might benefit from having that plus lens more or like, you know, like a bifocal even um, because they're just like not accommodating as much as they should be. Yeah. So okay, let me uh, give the next case then. I'll just give it away a little yeah. bit. Same kid, and this is a case again about asthenopia. Um, she comes back a few years later, and now her cycloplegic refraction has changed. It's not plus three sphere in both eyes anymore. It's now plus one sphere plus one cylinder at 90. This doesn't sound like that bad of a prescription. She's a teenager at this point, so you don't have to really worry about any amblyopia. Not that it really would count as an amblyogenic range problem anyway. But she still has asthenopia all the time, at both distance and near. So, back to Ben again. Should we be prescribing glasses? And if so, what strength? And actually, why are we bothering? <laughs> you know, you know. We, I think we can presume maybe they're Still basically 2020 at both yes. distances. Sorry, I, did, I um, should have mentioned that. It's purely because she her eyes are straining. She feels tired with her eyes all the time. Right. So you you should give the glasses because they have eye strain, but she only has a little bit of of hyperopia, the plus one. Uh, so we don't need to correct that because a 15 year old or however old they are should be able to accommodate through plus one. That that won't be bothering her. But then Andrew, what? Why are we prescribing glasses? Like, where's the asthenopia, the eye strain coming from? Believe it or not, it actually can be from the mild astigmatism. Some patients can be bothered by that, and this your mileage is going to definitely vary. Not everybody is going to complain of asthenopia with just plus one cylinder, but some people will, and they will find benefit in having correction for that. So if that's all we need to correct, then we can actually disregard the plus one of hyperopia and only give them like a final refraction of plano sphere plus one cylinder at 90. Yeah. So that we're really just correcting the cylinder only. So basically, I mean, I think the take home point is astigmatism can cause eye strain too. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Not just hyperopia that can do it. Okay, last case. Can I do it? Yeah, yeah go for let it. me, let me, let me, let me, let me. Okay, <laughs> uh, okay. So here we have. Let's let's go back. Now it's like back in time. 
uh, to a four-year-old patient that has a hyperopic anisometropia. So they're plus one in the, like, let's say the right eye, plus four in the left eye. We already talked about that's not good. Uh, there's no strabismus, but the vision, you know, is already poor in the left eye. So what prescription do we give? Do we just give plus one right, plus four left? Just correct it? Easy. So one possible script we could give would be Plano in the right eye, but plus three in the left eye. Oh, so one less in both than what you... Then why do we do the cyclopeutic refraction? You know, <laughs> we, we did all this work to figure out plus one in the right, plus four in the left. So why are you giving one less in both eyes? So the point of this case is to illustrate that glasses are actually going to be better tolerated, especially in kids, if the better seeing non-amblyopic eye has as close as possible to a Plano lens. This is entirely about just making sure the kid is going to be more likely to accept the glasses or not. And you can imagine, you know, uh, if the kid doesn't really have to change what they're doing with accommodation in their better eye, if there's no like weird ref like magnification or minification effect, that'll be a little more acceptable. The other thing that we wanted to point out here was that you can actually give a fairly anisometropic glasses correction for children and not have to worry too much about anisaconia. So usually the, the weird double vision Alice in Wonderland effect that adults will really complain of if you gave an adult, adult like a, um, a script with a difference of like three diopters between the eyes, they would have a lot of symptoms for that. But mm -hmm. kids often won't. So you can get away with it better. And that is really helpful when you're trying to correct for amblyogenic scripts. Now, as for the decision-making about how much to withhold from the full cycloplegic refraction, actually, there's a lot of debate or room for personal style in exactly how to reduce the hyperopic strength. But just like Ben pointed out, we reduced it in both eyes by one diopter. You can reduce things, but you have to make sure to reduce them equally in both eyes. Otherwise, you're going to make one eye preferred a little bit in and of yourself. Yeah. This isn't necessarily to fix the amblyopia, but it does in a way by helping them, um, you know, accept the glasses or be more likely to accept the glasses. That pearl that you want to try to get the better eye closer to a Plano lens so they actually wear the darn things. Yeah. And that's it. That's it, actually. Yeah. So thank you, Angie, for putting that together. I learned a lot going through that, going through those cases with you. I did wonder if uh, this would be a little triggering for you with a little old four-month-old Will. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, not at all. I, I do routinely check eye tracking to make oh sure that gosh. there is no strong eye preference. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I uh, Yeah. Babies, babies so far is, is tracking equally in both oh, eyes. Very good. I, yeah. Whenever we go to like the, you know, the normal pediatrician's office, they steal their direct ophthalmoscope to check rod refluxes. You know, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great time. He's very healthy. I, I can't complain about anything. But uh, so, yeah, thanks again for putting this together. Yeah, yeah. And another right. shout out. We actually don't have the interactive case-based module up available for everybody yet, but we're working on that and probably will be within the next year. That's going to be even more a little detailed and then you can kind of work through it yourself to challenge yourself and really practice these concepts. Many thanks again yeah. to Dr. Pavlina Kemp. Yeah, we're, and if you want to hear from her directly, she did an episode for us on the podcast Experts Insight from the AAO. Um, 
she did. I think it was last year. You can you can find that. She's great to listen to and a lot to learn from her. Okay, guys. Well, that's it. And I, there's. Uh, I don't think for a case-based thing we'll go through any summary. So we'll just yeah. see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>